Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 46 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. I am your host, Brian Wayne, and this week I will be raising my glass to all of the comics, or at least a good portion of the comics that were released on the 28th of August 2019, as well as talking about other things relevant to the world of comic books. So, uh, full disclosure, uh, I do have a bit of a potty mouth. And this is somewhat of a spoiler-based podcast because it's more of an overview type of thing. So be prepared for all that. And when you're ready, grab yourself a drink and let's talk comic books. First up, just a wee bit of news. Just a wee bit. Uh, I, I didn't do a whole lot. I didn't dig too deep, admittedly. But I did find something that was noteworthy. noteworthy. And our beloved Immortal Hulk, hold your breath is delayed just a couple of weeks. Um, 24 and 23 is going to be out just fine, but 24 and 25 seem to have uh, taken a bit of a tumble. And yeah, it's just going to take a little bit longer. I think it's a three-week delay from what I've read. But that could change too. There's time. It's not canceled. I know. I got y'all, got y'all fucking scared, huh? But no, that's not what's happening. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm sure there was other stuff in the news, but I... I didn't really see much that I found relevant to uh, to you guys. So let's uh, let's dive into the overviews this week. Once again, these were the books that came out on the 28th. So let's dive right into it, starting with some indies again. Ice Cream Man back in uh, back in the podcast again already. It hasn't been long. We had Palindromes, which is kind of a game changer as far as the way comic books are told. And uh, Ice Cream Man number 14, Down on the Cross, by W. Maxwell, Prince Martin Marazzo, and Chris O'Halloran, covered by Marazzo and O'Halloran. They, uh, no, they, they continued to raise the bar again on how a comic book can be narrated and told and delivered. Uh, this this particular one with the, the theme of Down on the Cross, you can imagine that crossword puzzles are involved, especially if you... Uh, if you looked at the cover at all, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's it's just a, it's a, it was a dark way of telling a story, and it, it's not really something I could actually explain to you guys. It's something that you really do just have to witness yourself, and you decide whether or not you find it to be a game changer. I found it to be very impressive, very very impressive. There, there's, there, oh, man, the art that these guys deliver, not just visually, but. It, uh, on all levels is game changing. So shout out to you. So um, let's. Uh, I guess I could tell you a little bit about the the, the theme of this one. I mean, th- I've already told you the theme. It follows a couple of new characters, as it always does. We got a, a middle-aged husband and wife. What are their names? Earl and Rita. Uh, Earl's sitting in the dining room table doing his crosswords, and Rita's scolding him because the the young hooligans outside that they contracted to build their guest house seem to be smoking marijuanas, and she don't like that. But Earl doesn't seem to give two goddamn fucks, so she goes out there to confront the boys herself, and Earl finds this to be a good chance to go off and get him some more puzzles. So when he goes to the convenience store in his puzzle trance, he is uh, sold his new 
crosswords by a very familiar face, the only recurring character throughout the entire Ice Cream Man series so far. Um, and it's not necessarily a recurring character so much as it is a familiar face that plays many, many, many different parts. And you can always tell who it is based off of uh, three very, very distinct facial features. And the, the beady eyes, whether they're green or black, the, the long presidential jaw, and that just fucking psychopathic smile. So, yeah, you always know who, who the bad guy gonna be, even when it's a different character, which is just all the more impressive as far as uh, the artistic story, or visual storytelling. But, um, so yeah, he sells him his, uh, his crosswords, and yeah, obviously, you know, shit's gonna go awry from here. Meanwhile, old lady in the backyard is telling these boys what's what, and, uh, um, yeah, she's... Uh, admittedly I don't know what the fuck happens here what sparks it I don't know if it's just massive paranoia uh she got contact high maybe that's the only thing that I could really think of but uh she just starts tripping out man and she suddenly thinks that she sees these boys as they look like something out of the purge with the scary masks they're wearing and they look like they just they want them some old lady bloods and, uh, yeah, she starts running through her fucking house all paranoid and shit and very, very, uh, uh set on the idea that these boys are chasing after her. Uh, husband Earl gets home, locks himself in the bedroom, and all of a sudden he starts doing this, his new crossword puzzle, and it starts talking back to him. And, uh, yeah, uh, through a series of, you know, events in his past and present that are, that's currently happening, very, very dark, still staying with the very, very... Uh, deep mental anguish that the every single one of these books have delivered all in different ways and uh, it actually gets to a point where he reaches for a gun and he goes to uh, he goes to maybe pull a trigger and he has an epiphany no this isn't the answer but meanwhile uh, as Rita's running through her house she hears someone in that bedroom and she's like ah oh, fuck those are the boys she just blasts through the fucking door and knowing how dark and twisted this comic book could be you would think that alright well uh She's going to kill her husband, ironically. Uh, no, that's not what happens at all. As a matter of fact, uh, you actually think for the first time, fuck, this is a happy ending. Uh, she snaps out of whatever cra you know crazy thing she was going through. I really, I, I really don't know if it was supposed to be a contact tie she got, but that bitch is tripping. And uh, Earl, he, he, like I said, he rethinks his... Uh, his suicidal thoughts and they embrace each other and next thing you know he's uh the next day he's explaining to them them boys sorry to put you out of work boys but it turns out the wife and i are gonna take this guest house well we're gonna do a little traveling and uh yeah you think all right cool fucking happy ending right but then, in the most ice cream man of manners, the boys get in the car, and the panel fades to that mischievous green again, and uh, the boys are back in their masks, and they're getting in the van all Scooby-Doo-like, and bum bum bum. So, was it all? I don't fucking know. I don't know, man, but the, the fact of the matter is that the, the point of these books is to just deliver, like I said, mental anguish, and... Uh, uh, and one way or another, they've always done it. Granted, I might be kind of confused, but I'm also a fucking idiot, too. So, I mean, that is what it is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Ice Cream Man. A book you could easily pick up at any time, uh, because it's all just a bunch of one-shots. So, good job. Image Comics pumping them out from uh, 
What is this? Dark Horse? Yeah, Dark Horse. Tommy Gun Wizards. Christian Ward, Sammy Cavella, D. Conniff. Alright, so, um, covered by Christian Ward. Uh, essentially what this is, is this takes place Chicago, 1931, Prohibition, Capone, Elliot Ness, but here's the deal. Uh, the substance being banned here isn't liquor, and something called lick. And essentially, it's a magic potion that gives everybody different individual magical abilities, and, uh, yeah, it's... Imagine if Elliot Ness was going after Capone, okay, been there. Now, imagine if it was magic that he was slanging. Yeah, there you go. Got yourself a comic book. I think it's going to be a four-parter. I'm not four-parter. I'm not sure. Um, it was a quick read. I, I don't know if I'm going to stick with it. We'll see. It kind of depends on what's coming out in the weeks that it's released. If it's a heavy week, I might pass on it. Not that it was a bad book by any means. It was just... Uh, I, I, I guess my simple mind uh, needed more blatant magic in my face like, like i said guys i'm a fucking idiot so, <laughs> nothing against this book at all i, I thought it was a re it's a really 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 cool concept that's for damn sure uh let's move on to boom studios now we've got mighty Morphin power rangers now uh since the shattered grid we, it, we kind of took a bit of a dip but then they started this necessary evil crossover again so we're a mighty Morphin power rangers number 42 ryan parrot Danielle D. Nicuolo and Walter Biamonte, covered by Jamal Campbell. The Power Rangers are fucking dope, guys. This is... Uh, the, the books are just more and more... I mean, maybe it's because I've been reading them enough now. Uh, for new listeners that may not be familiar with my uh, my Power Rangers knowledge, I, I was... I, I don't know anything about the Power Rangers that are outside of the original Power Rangers. Uh, so all of the storylines and all of that stuff that's ever been done that's being in comics or on TV or anything, I'm, I'm very, very ignorant to. So it's been kind of hard for me to comprehend a lot of this. And at times it still is because there's things that I'm just not aware of, like Solar Rangers and stuff like that. So with all that being said, that is my excuse as to not diving into the Power Rangers as much as I would like to be able to. Because I also take pride in, you know, delivering... Uh, real information and not muddying shit up. So uh, that's that's out of respect for you guys as well. Um, as far as uh, the, the the main points that's that's happening up in here, up in this timeline, essentially we've our our, our main Power Rangers have been divided off. We've got um, half of them in uh, oh shit, where are they? Safe Haven, and the other half here on Earth. And uh, along with these halves, new rangers have been recruited, uh, like Kaya, for instance. I don't know if she's a, a teal ranger or what she is, but she is a badass bitch, and she's really the only chance that the, those, uh, what is it, uh, Zach and I think Trini are with her. Um, yeah, that's the only chance that they really have had to survive with Lord Zed sending his and ridiculously powerful monsters down there. And, uh, yeah, no, it's... I, I Like I said, guys, I really wish I could talk on this more. <laughs> and I know that there's definitely a few of you out there that are really pleading for that day to hurry up and fucking get here. But, uh, <laughs> there, it's... Ah, uh, man. Uh, what else could I say about this? Oh, there's a planet killer? That's a bad thing, right? And Queen... Adriel, did I say that right? 
God, you you know I'm not doing good on this. You 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 actual fans are gagging right now. So <laughs> um, I'm I'm gonna have uh, someone on. One of you guys on here. We're gonna we're gonna fill me on on what the fuck some Power Rangers is, so we can do this proper. But with all that being said, I still recommend Power Rangers. I am enjoying it as you know confused as I am at times. Those moments are dwindling down. That's for damn sure. So. Boom Studios laying it down. Uh, and that's actually all I've got for indies this week. It was kind of a light week in the overviews for indies. I know last week was very, very, very opposite of that. So, yeah, let's move on to Marvel now. Marvel, it was a heavy week, as it usually is, though. Is it ever a light week for Marvel? Not really. So let's just come out swinging with this one, man. Avengers number 23, Legacy 723, if that's how you count it. Uh, this title, arc, uh, book, issue, is called <laughs> uh, Hellrace 666, for all you evangelists out there. Uh, Jason Aaron, Stefano Caselli, and Jason Keith on the artistic team. Casello, or Caselli and Frank Martin on the cover. Now, this, oh man, for all you Ghost Rider fans out there that have been waiting for Ghost Rider to be amazingly kick-ass in comics again, he's been around, and there's several of them now. Uh, it's, I, I have a feeling that the man that's going to be helming the revival of Ghost Rider is going to be none other than Jason motherfucking Aaron, and I do believe that is his God-given middle name, because, oh, that guy... He's a, mm, a beast. It's, oh man! So let's uh, let's talk about what the hell's happening in Avengers. Avengers Mountain is possessed. Why? Well, because there was an exorcism that occurred in there. By who? Hellstorm, the uh, the son of Satan. Um. Well, naturally. So, uh, uh, who is the exorcism supposed to be on? Well, uh. That, that would be old Robbie Reyes, because he don't want to be the Ghost Rider no more. He's done with this shit. Well, when the exorcism was attempted, the old Hell Charger, uh, it went nuts. And the thing that was supposed to be exorcised was, uh, it's just floating around in the fucking, uh, what are they, uh, Celestial. That's, you know, now the Avengers headquarters. Trouble, right? Uh, meanwhile, Robbie and Johnny Blaze are racing through Hell, and... Uh, so, what's going on here is Robbie doesn't necessarily want to race at first, uh, but John, and he doesn't want to be Ghost Rider either, and the race is to determine who, or who gets all of the Ghost Rider power, because if, uh, right now, Johnny Blaze is the King of Hell, Mephisto has been dethroned, but that's not necessarily a permanent thing. Johnny Blaze has to make sure that that can't happen again. And in order to make sure that doesn't happen again, he has to have all the ghost riders. All up in them. Mm-hmm. So, uh... <laughs> they, uh... They got a race. But the thing is, is you only get the power if you put in the fucking effort. You can't just be like, I don't want anymore. So, uh... Yeah, um, he's got to talk him in the racing, and he's not very into it, and he says, well, I'll just fucking, you know, you know, that brother that you're kind of fond of, um, uh, I'm gonna get to know him, yep, do you want that? And essentially, that's, that's what gets this party started, and they start racing, and while they're racing around down there, Avengers are scrambling, because now the Celestial that they're, um, living in is, uh, possessed, yep, fucking possessed, 
and it's crushing to everybody and shit's badass. But here's the cool, the coolest fucking thing about this. The, my favorite thing about this entire issue is boy thing. Now, what's boy thing? Boy thing came from uh, what was it? Issue number seven hundred, I think. Um, I believe so. That's that's when Blade was introduced again. It might have been seven hundred one. Blade was introduced again, and we had all them. Uh, oh lord, I can't remember. Oh, Sergeant. Oh, I can't remember. No, Sarge was the dog. Colonel something. Oh, man, I gotta remember the name on this. But it was a badass fucking team that turned out to actually be working for uh, Dracula. So, they, uh... <laughs> uh that, and Boy Thing was the thing that was actually used as a tool. He just kept making wooden stakes. When you're a vampire hunter, you, you need wooden stakes. Well, Blade took over Boy Thing has been his little, uh... This guy now. Well, Boy Thing saves the fucking day. Turns out Boy Thing may or may not be just as fucking powerful as Man Thing. And I know it sounds weird, but Man Thing is incredibly fucking powerful. Incredibly powerful. Way more powerful than Swamp Thing. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Don't fucking stop. Yeah, it's okay. You don't have to yell. <laughs> I know there's a few of you that are. But, um, no, that's, that's, my, I'm just really exercising my, uh, my enthusiasm for a character like Man-Thing that I really do adore so much, and Boy-Thing came along and saved the fucking day in issue number 23. But that's, that's just a small piece of what's happening here. Uh, Hulk and Thor, you know, they ain't fucking slowed down by nothing. Uh, they realize there's an energy. Oh, we're tracking the thing, the thing, the spirit that's possessed, that's floating around. Well, it turns out um, the, the, there's a cosmic ghost rider all up in this bitch. Frank Castle politely introduces himself as the motherfucker that's there to kill him. So, are are you not are you not excited, ah, guys? Avengers is. Always, I mean, yeah, there are issues that are slower than others, but some of the slowest, of, well, the slowest Avenger books are still better than 60% of comics out there. And that doesn't mean that 60% of comics out there are bad. The fucking Avengers, as far as bar, the bar goes in comic books and creative teams and artisticness and just lovability, is incredibly high. And it's, it's... It's an easy book to jump into. You really just have to... Yeah, there's things that are referenced all throughout. And Jason Aaron, he's, you know, known for really bringing out some, some deep cuts of his own lore and other people's lore, which is highly respectable. But I think it's all the more reason for why people, you know, can enjoy this book on all levels. You know, if you're an old dog, you're not going to get bored. And if you're new to jump on it, then yeah, you, there's usually not more than a couple issues. You really need to catch up on the vital stuff, if at all. So it's it's just that's how good Avengers is. Let's keep going with this Marvel train that's been pretty freaking awesome lately. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 28, Legacy 829, Nick Spencer, Kev Walker, John Dale, Lord Martin, Andrew Crossley, covered by Ryan Otley and Nathan Fairbane. Um, since the Craven Last Hunt stuff ended, I really think Amazing Spider-Man is the best it's been since Spencer took over. I'm enjoying it immensely, and I started thinking maybe I, I said that on the last issue only because I'm such a massive fucking Kingpin fan, and anything that Kingpin's in, I 
pitch a tent for. But, and, you know, the kingpin's on the cover of this book, don't get me wrong, and he's still the driving force of this issue, but he's not really in this issue. Um, a whole lot, at least, if at all. Uh, and that actually valid er, makes me happy to think it's not just kingpin that's making me like Amazing Spider-Man now. Because of all the Spider-Man titles out there, it's... Not, I'm not, and it's gonna sound terrible when I say this. Oh, Brian says it's the worst. No, just because it's my least favorite of all the Spider-Man titles doesn't mean it's the worst. Spider-Man's, it's a good time to be a Spider-Man fan. And comics. And comics. <laughs> you fucking film fuckers. <laughs> We're fucked. But, uh, yeah, no, um, whew. Uh, so what's going on in this book, Brian? Well, let's talk about it. So Spidey's trying to track down the Syndicate Six who kidnapped Boomerang, about to deliver it to Kingpin, or him to Kingpin. Uh, we know that Beetle has had uh, a very uh, not-so-pleasant past with Boomerang as far as romantics go. And uh, throughout this, it's kind of we get a moment where uh, Boomerang mysteriously delivers a note to Beetle, and then Beetle has this complete change of heart, and she just said, you know what, we don't have to be good all the time, but we could be good sometimes. She's talking to the rest of the Syndicate Six, which is another group of badass, or a group of badass bitches. And, uh, yeah, so she's, uh, she's, she kind of talks him into really essentially helping, yeah, I guess Kingpin is in this book, because Spider-Man shows up while Kingpin's giving a press conference, and Spidey's being attacked by the cops and Kingpin's men, and they can't tell who's who because, you know, it's all one big fucking thing now because Kingpin's a beast of a goddamn villain, and he's just that goddamn good. But I actually think the, the best part about all of this, you know, Spider-Man prevails, gets Boomerang back to the apartment, everybody's safe. Um, uh, the Syndicate Six seems to be, you know, they seem to take the fall for, you know, they, they go down for everything they did despite, you know, helping to save the day in the long run. But it's not long after that we see Feast is getting ready to open up again. And Feast is the homeless shelter that Aunt May's running. And she's doing it with her cancer and everything because she's that bad of a goddamn chick. And, uh, yeah, so Feast is up and running again. And the reason why it was closed because all of, you know, uh, bad people, they're, they're uh, just using their lawyers and their money. To, they want that building. They don't want the homeless in that area and yada, yada, yada. You know, politics and shit. Well, it turns out... Uh, Beetle, a.k.a. Janice Lincoln, a.k.a. a lawyer, uh, she is good at being a, a lawyer. <laughs> and she's able to out-lawyer the other lawyers, and she's gets feast up and running right now. So I actually think this is a very, very Spider-Man feeling type of story. It's, uh, yeah, no, it had, it had its kingpin moment in there, and... Yeah, but it, I really don't think that was the thing that made me enjoy it. I actually think it was the uh, the Beetle having a change of heart and deciding to be good and all of that shit. Maybe the Syndicate Six could be a group of anti-heroes or something. Sounds interesting enough to me. Well, Spider-Man, again? Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, issue number 11, legacy number 35, Tom Taylor, Juan Cabal, Rachel Rosenberg... Oh, man, what a team. Covered by Andrew C. Robinson. What a cover. This is Friendly Neighborhood Mary Jane. And you can just imagine what this is about. Spider-Man, he's tired. He needs to take a little nappy-poo. 
So MJ puts him to bed. She's making her way home. She's on the subway. Some shit goes down on the subway. As in, uh, yeah, there's still fucking trolls from the War of the Realms just sprinkled about. You know, they're trying to go where it's dark, and it's pretty dark in the subway most of the time. So that's where they is. And, uh, yeah, no, so... At this point, what it comes down to is it's MJ to the rescue. You know, she's... The thing hits the... Uh, fucking troll. Or the subway hits the troll, and... It's derailed a bit, and, you know, she's gonna make sure everybody gets to safety. Because the troll's confused, and hungry, and scared, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, MJ's badass... She goes face-to-face against this troll. No fear at all. And, uh, you know what? She's saved by Spider-Man. Because that's what happens, right? But check this shit out. It ain't her little tiger. It's Miles. Miles friggin' Morales shows up. And it's it's just really... Oh, dude. Tom Taylor knows how to write a goddamn story. I know I say it constantly every time I talk about his book. And if he has a book, I'm talking about it. So you could imagine. My old listeners are tired of hearing it. Or you probably, I would imagine the majority of you agree with me at the same time. But no, he just delivered again. We get this awesome moment where MJ actually says, I know all about Spider-Man. And you, Miles Morales, did some mighty fine Spider-Man today. I don't know why I'm doing this fucking hick accent right now, but it's, it just feels right. <laughs> Apologize. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, that's that's what the fuck's going on. MJ picks up her cell phone when it's all said and done, and with the help of MJ Miles Morales, that troll, he be fucked, or at least knocked out for a bit. She calls in Tony Stark for cleanup. Yeah, she's that badass. Bossing around Tony Stark, but if you guys remember... It all uh, back in Bendis's run, uh, MJ actually became the CEO of Stark Industries for just a little bit. So yeah, there that that's that's not a out of out of left field type of call by any means. I'm sure Stark owes MJ all types of fucking favors. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I'm friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is and has been con- and I would imagine continued to be incredible. <gasps> Excuse me, Jesus Christ, finally. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's keep this going. Mar Marvel, as there would be. Uh, Thanos number five. This is Zero Sanctuary Pot five of a six-part series covered by Jeff Decal. Uh, artistic team is Teeny Howard, Ariel Olivetti, and Antonio Fabella. Just a beast of a trio. Uh, our last issue left off with Thanos abandoning Gamora to the mutinizing Black Order. And that's on account of Thanos really kind of loses respect for Gamora for a moment when she doesn't execute somebody like he would hope she would. So he says, peace, bitch. I'm going to go take down the Magus myself. And the Magus is the guy that threatened, or is would be Thanos' biggest threat in the future on account of he's just going around recruiting a bunch of, I mean, everybody. I mean, he's worse than a goddamn Jehovah's Witness just knocking on everybody's door. Have you heard the good word of the Magus and the universal tr- tr- truth? I said all those words wrong, but you get the idea. So <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that's and now Thanos just he's he's trying to lure him out him so he could take him down early. And Majos Ma- Majos Majos is twelve steps ahead, and then Gamora makes her way in there and says, "Hey, you know, Dad." 
You like it when I call you dad? You know you like it when I call And Thanos is just as cold as he ever was, even though in his inner thoughts he's thinking, should I have abandoned my daughter? And But he never really actually expresses that after, you know, once he's face-to-face with her. He's still a cold motherfucking Thanos, so... Yeah, no, that's, uh... This, this shit's juicy, man. It's emotional. At times, I have a feeling it's going to be even more emotional. But, it's, I mean, I think it's what you would expect. But at the same time, not what you would expect. You know, it's... <laughs> so that makes sense, right? So, yeah, no, I think Teeny Howard is a beast on Thanos. She's killing it right now. She she deserves all of the recognition in the world. She, I th- uh, she might be my favorite writer in comics. Fam- female writer in comics of... Yeah, I don't know. She's she's killing it. So if anybody out there looking for a new female writer, the I don't know how new she is, but I know that she's been ultra relevant at Marvel lately. She's like, cause I, seriously, I haven't read a bad issue of anything. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's continue on. Um, what is next? We've got Doctor Strange. Number 18, Legacy 408, Mark Wade, Jesus Saez, and Saez on the cover as well. This was a very off-the-wall issue. I have a, I, I'm under the understanding that at issue 20, Doctor Strange is going to end, and I find it hard to believe that with only three issues to go, including this 18 here that I'm fixing to talk about, uh, they, would, they would be delivering some hard-ass ground-breaking arc. But for some reason, this was just pure filler. W- was it worth reading? Yeah, sure. If you're a Doctor Strange fan, this is mighty enjoyable. But in the context of, you know, the rem- remaining of this book as a volume and this creative team, I don't know. I think I would have threw something else down. Makes me wonder how amazing the last two issues are going to be. We'll see. But what's going on here is you got this regular-ass family... A uh, very blue collar, um, you, you know, you sense of financial struggle, attention in the household between the parents, and yada yada yada. And Doctor Strange knocks on the door, and he just walks right up to this fucking painting and starts doing his little bloods and crypt signs on it, and uh, goddamn monster behind it. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, uh, sorry, um. Yeah, do a. He starts having this conversation with this portal, or behind this portal that he just opened up, and he's like, ah! Monster? What's its name? Uh, Zenorak. Or it's a Zenorak? I don't know. Zenorak is its name? I don't know. It looks like something out of fucking Star Wars. And he says, no, there's no way you'll ever come through. And I'm thinking, well, you will fucking just open the door for him, stupid. <laughs> That's kind of what the fuck is going down here. Only he doesn't go through the painting, he makes his way through the water pipes, because magic and uh <laughs> the the blue collar guy just so happens to be a plumber and he or maybe he just knows about plumbing because you can't afford to be a plumber and you got to call a plumber and you got to or fact is he knows about pipes <laughs> and he says a snake so doctor strange makes a magic snake and it's not a plumber snake it's a fucking goddamn like cobra or something <laughs> and then you got this cobra snaking its way through the drains, but he um the the guy is saying, oh no, you have to do it in a curling corkscrew motion and do it this way and do it that way, and uh, you know Mark Wade obviously knows a thing or two about snaking a drain, 
<laughs> so without the help of this blue-collar average Joe motherfucker, uh, Doctor Strange may have let old Zenerak in through, uh, I don't know, to us. So <laughs> the 616. I don't know. It was it was a fun book. That's Don't get me wrong. It was a very, very quick read. And if anybody out there is just like, oh, I want to, I want to know what Doctor Strange is about without having to feel like I need to invest in anything, go out and read issue number eighteen, man. That's, it, I mean, I felt like Doctor Strange. That, that's for damn sure. And I like the fact that it wasn't a whole lot of woe is me, and yeah, it was good, man. I, I, I did enjoy it. But like I said, I would have probably used the last few issues to tell a little bit more of a story. But it is what it is, man. Either way, I'm I'm not upset. Oh, you're gonna like this one, guys. House of X number three, Jonathan Hickman, Pepe, yep, Pepe Larraz and Marte Garcia. Uh, Larraz and Garcia is on the cover that I got, cover A, as I have been getting and will continue to get. Ain't buying into the variants on this one, Marvel. Uh, <laughs> not that I'm judging anybody that does. It's I just have enough to buy already, and I'm finding that I only like. Uh, virgin cover variants, so, yeah, when Marvel starts doing more of those, I'll, anyways, let's do this, um, so, I, House of X is a lot more, uh, I think it's a lot easier, at least for my brain, to comprehend than Powers of Ten is, uh, Powers of Ten, I feel like I need to go take some community college class, or the, they could, like, host uh, a class in college on Hickman's powers of 10 <laughs> it's becoming more digestible i guess uh, not that i'm uh, i don't know uh fact is with this one it feels more like an x-men book and particularly this issue three um it, it's uh familiar characters uh so let's I'll, I'll i'll do my best here now keep in mind i i I don't... We're all new to this new Hickman mutant universe. We all are. There's some things that are playing into this that, you know, are referenced from way, way back in the day. They're deep cuts. And I feel like the old... Pe or the, not the old people. Yeah, all you old people. Um, the people that have been reading all the older X-Men issues from way back in the day, the Claremonts and all of that stuff, they, they, they definitely... I would imagine you guys definitely have a leg up on folks like me. Um, admittedly, I didn't start reading X-Men until X-Men Gold, and Blue, and Red, and Astonishing. And I can say that I've read every X-Men title since Blue. I'm proud to say that. But unfortunately, none of that shit fucking means anything anymore. <laughs> so, was it a waste? No, no, it was entertainment. But, um, getting into what, you know, this, this new Hickman universe fact is, is yes, I'm confused, and I don't really have uh, a whole lot of confidence... Um, overviewing these books quite yet. I know that there's still... We're only halfway through this 12-issue this arc between the two titles. But I, I know it's all going to pay off. The, I, but I, what I'm trying to say is I'm going to touch on the moments that I found most relevant and the stuff that I actually have just a wee bit of confidence in explaining to y'all. Enough to get you guys excited on going out and trying to track down these books because they're getting harder and harder to find, it seems. So right now we got our X-Men attempting to prevent Nimrod. And Nimrod is this thing that's going... It's a machine person type of thing, uh, idea, if you will, but also uh, per, uh, personified. I don't know. It's 
Uh, it's hard to explain, really, but it's bad. <laughs> and Orcus is this group of scientists that are really trying to, to make this thing happen. And they've produced a mother mold. Now, if you're going through and reading these books, you know that there's pages throughout here where it really is just like a textbook, and it gives you a scientific breakdown as to what all of this stuff is. And essentially, a mother mold, it produces the thing that produces the stuff <laughs> that creates mutant hunting robots. Um, half, half, uh, AI, half, um, uh, organic. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's crazy shit, man. And that's, that's a bad thing in the future. And it's, uh, that, that, that is the X-Men's mission at this point in time. Meanwhile, we flash over to something called Project Achilles. And what this is, is a superhuman supermax prison. Um, now, What's going on in here is, uh, say, or what this is alluding to, if you will, is we got our uh, beloved, very friendly Sabretooth. He is being tried. He's in court. And uh, if he goes to, uh, if he is sentenced, he looks like he's going to be going to Project Ke or yeah, Project Achilles. Now, in the most lawyery type of fashions, take a wild guess who you think his lawyer is. Okay, time's up. Uh, it's uh, the White Queen, Emma Mafucking Frost, and she just goes in there and she drops mutant laws on these uh, on the prosecutors like they ain't shit. And uh, the thing is, according you know to what uh, because of the treaty that Xavier had made with the humans on how, uh, you know, just the, the separation and all of that shit and um, creating a nation of their own and Krakoa and all of that good stuff. Um, what are the... Uh, what, Sabretooth has immunity. Diplomatic immunity. Cannot be tried by humans. Um, if he fucks up and, the you know, doing shit, then he just has to go to Krakoa and deal with that. And Emma Frost shows up, and she says, this is what's going on, and yeah, I'm fucking bad guys forming up, y'all. That's familiar, right? That seems like some X-Men shit. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and then we, we go back to the scientists. They, they realize that the X-Men are coming, the X-Men are coming, and we get um, a very dramatic sacrifice from one of the Orcus scientists. What, the, I, what it is, I don't really know. But everyone's like, no, and there's an explosion. So, I don't know, I don't exactly understand what happens, but that's nothing new. Um, I think the, the, the coolest thing about this book, and probably not the coolest thing, Sabretooth and Emma Frost is the coolest, sorry, White Queen was the coolest thing, but, um, uh, Hickman, Hick, Jesus, what was that? Hickman, at the end, he introduces the Krakoan alphabet. So, for all you fucking hyper nerds out there, you can go through and... Dude, uh, you, this mutant language, man. And the thing about this mutant language is it's so mind-blowing. Uh, <laughs> humans are incapable of translating it. And all brains, both human and mutant alike, are incapable of comprehending it. I don't know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. I don't know how you're supposed to be able to speak it without being able to comprehend it. Or maybe you just can't comprehend its vastness in some hippie fucking manner that I don't understand. I don't know. I don't get chakras and all of that stuff. But, uh, um, yeah, no, I don't... It was, uh, I'm starting to understand it. And it gives me hope, guys. It gives me hope that I'm not a complete and total fucking idiot. 
Um, it is enjoyable though. Uh, I don't, I don't think I've read a whole lot of Hickman, so I know there's payoff to be had. Um, I am looking forward to it. It's, it's, it's gonna be good. Uh, carrying on, we've got some Thor action. Thor number 16, Legacy 722, Once Upon a Time in Asgard. Jason Aaron and Mike Del Mundo, as it should be. Mike Del Mundo on the cover, as it should be. And, uh, yeah, so, this is a, this is a quick read. This is more Aftermath, Thor is now king, and... The, the the royalty uh, left in Asgardia, they're getting ready to hold this ceremony in honor of Thor. But while they're all waiting for Thor, Thor's out there just being a he's being a pretty good guy. He's being a, he's been a really good he's a really good guy. Building houses and whatnot. So <laughs> yeah, no, he, he is. He's hammering nils with old Mjolnir, and out there just habitat for humanity. And yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, but there's more to it than that. Um, we, we, we touch on Odin's anger for his son's neglect towards the Asgardians and his people. and um, But at the same time, then they go through and explain it in a very Jason Aaron badass type of way. Yeah, Jason Aaron again, guys. Here we go. Get the tug fest going. Um, we get a moment where, hey, remember Baby Lassa? Remember that little demon angel? Well, Freya has to give her up again again to lady gaia again it's all for the best apparently i don't understand why um maybe because she's got to elope with odin because they're they're back to to king and queenin but not i don't know because they're not king and queen anymore i don't know what you call that now <laughs> there's probably a scientific term so yeah no you get the, you get the idea of what's going on here now there's no way i did it any justice as far as the uh you know all the emotions this book touched on and the the, the the actual story behind it all and the reasoning um, my dumbass couldn't possibly portray it in a way that would do it any justice in the manner that Jason Aaron laid out for you here just trust me guys Jason Aaron's good find somebody that says Jason Aaron's a shit writer and I'll find you somebody that uh, probably needs a fucking helmet and yeah <laughs> so let's uh let's carry on it's time for uh, the old absolute carnage that little old thing. Um, so, uh, now, I, I was told, and the Cates didn't tell me personally, I just read a tweet that it came out. So it is Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman, J.P. Meyer, and Frank Martin. Um, who did the, the cover? Um, who was it? Uh, Stegman, Meyer, and Martin. So, uh, as I was saying... Cates came out and said, before you read any of the tie-ins, make sure you just read the, the the solid issue, Absolute Carnage number two first. Okay. Well, you're absolutely right about that. He was absolutely right about that. No, is all... Is, I mean, the story ruined if you didn't read that tweet? No. No. But I think it's better when you read it this way. And it also makes reading the other issues very, very, very quick. Because... Yeah, I'll get to that in a second. So let's just dive into this what is happening um spidey and venom have teamed up they are face to face with carnage and uh i believe it to be norman osborne again um i i believe it to be um maybe it's jonah jameson uh, the thing is, is that yeah no I, I think it would be norman because when jameson jr john jameson i mean not jonah jameson um he uh 
he kind of has the the wolfman type of form still when he's all symbiotic. So I, I believe that's what's going on here. Is is Norman all carnageized? He has been taken. Meanwhile, um, the maker he has his uh, his machine in development to remove the codexes from the spines of anybody that's in possession of a codex, so that you know, they don't get their spine ripped up by carnage. You know, simple enough. The thing is, uh, no one's ever made this machine before. So there's a little bit of trial and error that's going on here. Um, Spidey and Eddie, they decide they're going to split up. And they say, okay, we need to go recruit some more badass motherfuckers. Spidey says, okay, I'm going to go recruit some heroes. I'm going to go get Wolverine and Captain America. Be right back. Why don't you go get some some criminals? You know, the some better... Some better... So some of the bad guys, you know, anti-heroes, if you will. You go do that, we'll meet back up here in 38 minutes <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. And uh, that, that's, they, they part ways. Um, Eddie realizes now, uh, through comic book telling, you know, you just have to read it for yourself and figure out how he realizes it. But he realizes that somehow Dylan is now a target. And that comes from a conversation that he's having with Maker, making sure that, all is safe. And while you're reading this, you see that in the background, the maker's going, oh yeah, no, everything's fucking cool, man. Um, there's clearly some fuckery afoot in the background. Explosions and whatnot. So, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then, and then, uh, Miles and Morales, or My Miles and Morales, Miles, Morales, and Scorpion, they're out struggling with the little carnage cult. They're in New York just... Yeah, um, how they come together, you'll, you'll learn, and the next thing I'm going to talk about in the tie-in is it, yeah, um, so, um, but the fact is, they're together, and they're kind of teamed up, and, uh, you see a moment where, you know, Carnage, he has Scorpion, as he would, and, uh, he puts his hand through his back, rips out his fucking spine, <laughs> it's paralyzed, not dead, paralyzed, and then Miles shows up, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't think that's what he said. <laughs> well, um, hyper spoiler, guys. Uh, it's not looking good, so good for for Miles. He ain't fucking shit to Carnage. And as Kate said on Twitter once again, there's some things that are worse than death, and possibly being taken by Carnage. Uh, it's probably up there with that thing. Miles looks to be done for, guys. Um, is he gone forever? Probably not. That'll probably be something that's reversed. I doubt they're going to kill Miles Morales. But the motherfuckers will die in this story, and I think they're just kind of easing it in there a little bit before they start really ramming it in home, is what I mean to say. Jesus, that sounded hypersexual. Uh, let's let's keep going. Let's talk about these times now. I know. Well, I I, I enjoyed it. Um, Absolute Carnage is awesome. So for anybody new out there that wants to get into the world of symbiotes and whatever, um, yeah, read all of Donny Kate's stuff, all of it, and then jump into this. And you know, I guess you don't necessarily have to know all of the Donny Kate's Venom history at this point, but he has definitely laid out some lore up up for us up until now, being as new to Venom as he is. So. Yeah, it's uh, not a whole lot of catching up to do. Probably not 100% necessary, but still, still recommended. Now let's uh, let's move on to these 
uh, tie-ins. Let's do the the Miles Morales. We got Saladin Ahmed, Federico Vincentini, and Eric Arcianega. And that Clayton Crane cover is uh, it's ridiculous, man. That is so fucking cool. You got Scorpion on Spider-Man's back and Carnage drawn out and swinging through. Ah, oh, dude, that is so cool. Amazing cover. So, uh, what's going on here is pretty much all of the stuff that was happening and throughout the issue of Absolute Carnage just told through a different perspective. And at, at first, uh, Spidey and Scorpion are fighting, as they would be. And, but, you know, Carnage shows up, they realize they gotta team up, and um, everything that I said in that last issue, it's just told through a different artistic team, through a different perspective, different shots. Um, is it a waste of money? God, no. No, I think it's still a book. It's not like, I don't think they threw a $5, no, it's a $4 book. They didn't up the price on it, they didn't give it an event price. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it's, it was, it was good reading. And Saladin Mohamed is the, the writer for Miles Morales as it stands right now at Marvel, as far as the ongoing goes. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it was, a, it was a cool tie-in. Um, was it, like I said, not super strong, just because, it, and it was, I mean, you could tell that Donny Cates just kind of <laughs> gave him a few pages of, uh, Stegman's script and said, okay, do this, but different. So, no, no, it's not, I, I like it, I like it. The other tie-in this week was old Lethal Protectors. Creative team here is going to be Frank Thierry. Flaviano and Federico Blee covered by Bangle. Bangle's dope. Um, so what's going on here? Is once again this is also kind of showing some of the stuff. Uh, it's throwing, showing another perspective, if you will, of Venom and Spider-Man arriving at Ravencroft just as the, the they're experiencing uh, the initial encounter encounter of Carnage. Initial initial. I said it again. <laughs> you, you get what the fuck I'm trying to say. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, it, but thankfully there's, there's more than just the retelling of a different perspective of something that we've already seen twice now. Um, so what's going on here is we've got John Jameson. He's all symbioted out. So yeah, no, it, w it wasn't, yeah, confirmed. Um, yeah, and he's got old Misty Knight and he says, give me your arm, bitch. I'm not going to give you a chance. And he's, he's there at this uh, sacrificial pit, if you will, thing. And she thinks she's about to be sacrificed. And he goes, <laughs> no, no, our sacrifice needs to be willing. You're here to observe. And she's like, oh, well, I don't really care. She's like, ah, I don't fucking care. Uh, you're here more than just to observe. You're actually here for lunch as soon as the thing that we're summoning is here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, we're going to kill this bitch. He's more than willing to die. And then you're going to get eight by the thing that that bitch just died for, so, yeah, give me your arm, well, as it turns out, that arm is capable of doing things when it ain't connected, and it puts out this sonic blast, but it turns out it's still too late, the dem demogoblin, if you will, is resurrected, and now it's merged with Shriek, which is, uh, you know, fucking another symbiote type of thing. And, uh, yeah, Misty Knight, she's able to escape through the sewers, but at the end, she's cornered by a horde again, and... Yeah, man, I thought this was actually a very enjoyable story. Uh, uh, now, for all the people out there, eh, what are you telling me? I don't want to spend... I'm never doing a Marvel event again because of all the time. You don't need to read it. But it's still enjoyable. It's not a waste of money at all. It's 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 fun. It is. Kate's 
obviously knows what the fuck he's doing with this event, so, uh, yeah, uh, give him fucking credit, man. Last Marvel book in the overview section this week is going to be Venom. Number 17, Legacy 182, Donny Cates, Ivan Coelho, and Rain Moreto. Fucking Venom, man. It's still killing it. Kyle Holtz and Dan Brown on the cover. Venom and Spidey, again. So, now, that moment back in Absolute Carnage when all that shit was going down, and the explosions and whatnot... Well, now we're, we're, we're on the perspective of the Maker. Once again, another book that's still told within the pages of Absolute Carnage, but through a different perspective. Um, a little bit more, as you know, you know, different events happening here. It's not all the same events, but um, yeah, different insight. And so it turns out that uh, old Dylan wasn't the only one that was being watched by uh, Maker, babysat. Also, little, uh, oh, what was his name, uh, Normie, Normie Osborne, remember that little fucker? Well, guess what, that little fucker has definitely had a symbiote before, because on account of he was a little baby carnage for a bit, you remember. Um, Spider-Man 798. Uh, so, yeah, um, that's, uh, he's fucking back. Well, naturally, he's gonna be the, the guinea pig for Maker's little codex spine extracting machine. <laughs> Because why not? And, uh, yeah. No, so, uh, throughout the the testing of all of this, that family of four. Remember that family of four from that one tie-in that we talked about that all got slowly, creepily possessed in this horrific manner by all the mother, not possessed, but bonded um, with all the mother symbiote spawns, uh, the ones that I can't really remember the names of. Uh, <laughs> you know, those guys. Uh, so, yeah, no, they show up. And it's uh, some fucking shit, man. Some fucking shit. That would explain all the, all the fuckery that was going on in the background of that call, when Eddie was trying to talk to Maker. And yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff, man. I, I really, I, once again, my stupid voice does the the storytelling of this book no justice. I'm just here to give you a laydown of, you know, the major events that's happening, and I find, I found all of it to be very well told, uh, the, the, the art's amazing, man, it really is, Ivan Coelho does a great job stepping in for Stegman, um, and Stegman, you know, he needs to be on absolute carnage right now, needs to be, it's okay that Venom has a guest artist for a few, it's, it, it's a, not a bad thing at all, and Coelho and Barreto are doing an amazing job, so, uh, Venom, it, it continues to be a solid goddamn book. I, and, uh, yeah, no, there's stuff that, there was a big, big, big reveal at the end there, and, uh, Sleeper, Sleeper, that, that thing that was introduced in, what was it, um, oh, shit, was it, not Web of, I don't remember the goddamn miniseries it was, I should know this, it was, on the tip of my tongue all day, but yeah, you know, it was issue three of something <laughs> where Sleeper was introduced, and yeah, Sleeper's back now, and a lot of people speculate that Sleeper is going to be bonding with Dylan, possibly, so I don't know. I don't know, but I'm enjoying it, and uh, yeah, that's all, that's all I got from Marvel this week. Let's move on to DC. There was some good DC, some damn good DC this week. We've got Batman Superman number one. Joshua Williamson, David Marquez, and Alejandro Sanchez. And uh, the covers um, by Marquez and Sanchez. And I say covers because it was a connecting cover dual option type of scenario. You got either a Batman side or a, a Superman side. And uh, yeah, same artist did the same thing, you know, obviously. 
So we have another DC book with a major Batman who laughs type of driven story. As there's nothing wrong with that because I dig the fuck out of this character. I, I just don't want DC to beat it to death, beat him to death. Uh, so, but I do respect that there is always at least a little bit of Batman who laughs happening right now. And I find this this I found this issue to be very uh, um, refreshing for several reasons. The big one being I finally found a book that Joshua Williamson wrote that I enjoy. <laughs> Uh, I, I knew that it's not that I didn't like the guy, I just haven't liked what he's written so far. And I, th I, th I thought this one was great. So what's going on here is both Batman and Superman suspect each other of being infected, and Batman thinks that maybe Superman could possibly be a Superman who laughs. Could you imagine? And uh, yeah, well it turns out that this kid has been kidnapped and Batman and Superman must team up and figure out and rescue this kid. And like I said, they both suspect each other, but they're on the same team. The Their clue locates them to a spot, the same spot, in Crime Alley. Something happened in Crime Alley in Batman's life. I can't remember what it was, but... Yeah, um... Well, it turns out there's a secret passage underneath that spot. Um... And, uh... Yeah, so they go down. And down they go, and when they get there, they realize it is probably the Batman who laughs... Batcave. <laughs> yeah, imagine. Well, they're down there snooping around and being Batman to Supermanny and Supermanny to Batmanny and you know all that good shit like how they are. Uh, well, look a little even Robin, a little evil Robin, you know, a little crazy fucking dog Robin Joker thingy that you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Batman and Superman think, oh, that's that's that little kid that was kidnapped. There, we got him. Well, it turns out that ain't that little kid. That motherfucker is an infected Billy Batson. Well, guess what, bitches? Shazam! We've got an infected Shazam facing off with the Superman, who's just a regular old puny little Superman. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, fucking A, right? I, I, I like it. I really like it. Imagine. And that's really the whole uh, moral or plot drive of this this story is any of these heroes now can be infected and be a something something that laughs um yeah now it's a uh, imagine the possibilities i dig it man I, I i i like this book way more than i thought i would I, i'm impressed let's carry on more dc detective comics number 1010 peter j tomasi christian Deuce and David Baron, covered by Jali and Jun Chung. Alright, so that plane crash that happened on account of God and lightning. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so we get the aftermath of all of that. The dead shot seems to, you know, crash landed with the rest of the civilians, and conveniently Bruce Wayne fell differently from everyone else. He's rescued by. An old uh, uh, Japanese man and a hot man, and they're all World War II veterans that have been stranded for a very, very long time. And they're like, "Oh, are you from the future, white man? Tell us what's it like in the future? We've been here for ninety years, or however long it's been since the forties." <laughs> 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 um, 
yeah. Uh, and then we get this kind of cool story about how they hated each other and they had to grow to be friends on account of the the whites versus the the, the not whites in World War Two. <laughs> Is that what it was? I don't remember how that war went. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, no, they, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you get that whole thing, and then fucking a panther shows up, and uh, Deadshot takes a shot at it, and he's like, I'm going to protect you, despite me being here to rob all y'all fuckers. I'm actually only after the billionaire. Because, once again, Deadshot's a fucking hick now, according to my stupid voice. So, um, yeah, no, he, uh, he just he's he's trying to humble brag as to you guys are alive because I didn't kill you <laughs> type of thing. You guys should be thanking me that I didn't kill you. Um, despite this plane crash that we were just in. Uh, yeah, so Panther shows up. He shoots the Panther. Panther gets away. Batman finds the Panther, realizes that, oh shit, that's a fucking shot that could have only possibly ever come from Deadshot because I'm a detective. Um, hey guys, do you have any, uh, costumes that kind of look like Batman a little bit, that aren't necessarily Batman, so no one would never know that I'm Bruce Wayne and I couldn't possibly, you know, there's, it would just be a super coincidence if Batman was here, but I still kind of like the look of Batman, so make sure that whatever costumes you guys have that you guys, on this deserted island you've been here for 70 years for, um, that's what I'm looking for. And I'll be damned if those guys didn't deliver exactly just that. <laughs> so Batman, I mean, um, uh, Spider Night, Night Monkey shows up, <laughs> and uh, he's he's fucking shit up, and um, it, by the dead shot, and turns his back, and dead shot goes to take a shot at Batman. But we don't see that shot because that's the end of that book. <laughs> Uh, no, you guys know I like my detective comics. I sounded like I was fucking shitting on that book. I just thought it was funny. I mean, the fact is, is I was entertained, and that's what you get out of it, right? I mean, is that, is that necessarily how I would actually see a Batman story going? No. I really think Tomasi was just having fun with that one, because I know Tomasi could throw down on some very, very Batman stories. But, uh... Nah, this this one was just fun, and I dug it. And comics are supposed to be fun, so get you some some Batman. Um, next up, one of my favorite titles coming out of DC, and I'm always excited every week when this book hits shelves is Batman Beyond, right? Issue number 35. Now Dan Jurgens, Rick Leonardi, Andy Parks, and Chris Sotomayor on the creative team, Chris Samney and Matthew Wilson on the cover. So we got this false face art going on here. Uh, Terry has been. Uh, false-faced, if you will. <laughs> He's parading around as Batman. He goes to try to recruit Split. He convinces Split that, hey, you guys should join me and be, or quote, good, because I'm Batman. And they realize after a quick team-up and an encounter with someone that they, they have to get physical with, Batman's like, snap his fucking neck in half, bro! Or something like that. <laughs> uh, Split's like, wait, no, hold on. Batman doesn't say that, does he? And the thing is, is Split, they've got a, uh, despite how badass they are, the fact is, is they're actually dying. It's not natural to be two people in one and... Um, yeah, no, so they've got to find a cure, and Batman tries to, or False Face as Batman tries to convince them otherwise, and meanwhile, Bruce and Matt McGinnis look from beyond, and they try to, you know, they're like, oh, it's False Face, and, you know, they figure it out too, because detectives. 
and Melanie, that uh, you know, the the love interest of Terry, she you know rides and she's like, hey, I'm gonna go take them down. And Bruce is like, no, you shouldn't do that. And she's like, fuck you, I'm gonna do it anyways. And she goes off and you know she tries to help. <laughs> And, uh, you know, because she's actually something, 10, that's her name. She was a part of, uh, I don't know, what are they called, Straight Flush or something like that? They were a badass group of uh, people. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, yeah, she was she was the 10 of the Straight Flush. And, yeah, no, she's she's out there. She's trying to stop Fall. Um, but, you know, False Face fucks her up. Um, and she's actually the one that is getting, you know, she that's when False Face is like, oh, I'll break her fucking neck. And the Split's like, wait, hold on, what? Uh, meanwhile, uh, Flash arrives. Yeah, you know, fucking Flash. Is it Barry? I don't know. I don't read Flash. I don't know. Guys, I, I, I admit, I'm supposed to be delivering. I'm supposed to be the comic book guy for you guys. But Flash is just something I, I don't know. I don't know. Not, and it's not that I don't like the character. It's just, I don't... F- which doesn't usually pull me. I, I'm not as knowledgeable because I haven't really found the the person to deliver the right flash to me yet. So uh, that's what's going on there. So forgive me for my lack of enthusiasm when, or and knowledge for that matter when Flash is involved. Fact is, I don't know which Flash this is. I, I think it's Barry Allen. I don't know. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's the cliffhanger at the end of that one. Batman Beyond still continues to be kick-ass. The false, I mean. It's, obviously, some issues are better than others. They can't all be fucking grand slams, and Batman Beyond has been a whole lot of grand slams. So sometimes, you know, it's not not every issue is going to be. And this is something that all you fucking old readers know everything about. But for new readers out there, you know, I, I just want to make sure you're not deterred. If you do pick up an issue, something that you've been enjoying, and all of a sudden it just, oh, that wasn't as good. Oh, I better drop it. No, no, no. Sometimes you just gotta slow down a bit and. Let the creators have their fun. All these guys are under massive deadlines. Sometimes they just want to fucking... Not everything needs to be hyper-intricate storytelling. Sometimes they just fucking want to see people get punched in the face. So, bam. That's what the fuck's happening. Last book over the... Over the... Over over the views? Overviews this week. Another indie. Or indie. Jesus Christ. More DC is what I mean to say. I'm all over the place, guys. Thank God you don't have much more to listen to me on here. Uh, Justice League number 30, Scott Snyder, he back, James Tooney in the fourth, uh, Jorge Jimenez and Alejandro Sanchez, Francis Manpool did the cover, amazing book guys, uh, Apex Luther, he's seeking out the final shard in order to be able to comp- uh, re- release Perpetua to create the world in her image again, which probably ain't gonna be good, the core Justice League is split up, we got a very reminiscent endgame type of vibe going on here, we're going to go to the future, you're going to go to the past, we're all going to come together, you guys in the present, um, anybody that's not a core justice leaker, you're all going to be in the present, if you're good, you are now been, you've been deputized, uh, your goal is to help Starman keep these portals open, so that we're able to come back with these shards and prevent all this shit from happening, but here's the deal, Luther's super smart, yo. He already he he, get, he knows what's happening. So when these guys go to the future and go to the past, and it is very much laid out. If anybody fucks up at all, there is we're we are fucked, 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 fucked. I think those were Batman's exact words. Um, DC le- their editor fell asleep. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, no, that's a uh, it's it's this is gnarly, man. Check it out. This is not a happy ending. This is the Justice slash Doom War. 
and war is fixin' to go down. Luther is one step ahead, and guess what? He's not the only one recruiting. He also recruits a whole bunch of other baddies, and he has deputized them as Legion of Doomers. I'm really happy to say this book was actually a really quick read, and that's not something you could say very often with this creative team working together, just because of the density of their work and all of the stuff that they like to lay out for us, and they like to flex their writing ability. But this one, this was a smooth ride, and I, I really, really dug it. One of my favorite Justice League issues so far, and there really have been some fucking bangers in this series, that's for damn sure. So uh, that's all I've got for the overviews, guys. There's a whole bunch of other stuff I read, too. And uh, that leads me into my next subject. This is the honorable mentions. This is the stuff that I'm not necessarily going to give a, a, an overview of, but it's all stuff that I, I want to touch on, remind you uh, that it still exists. <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so let, let's, let's get on with it. We're going to start out with uh, a whole bunch of turtles, guys. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I actually picked up a second... A second? A second printing of issue number 96 just because of this Jenica arc that's going down. I missed issue 95. I fucked up. But I'm gonna... And plus, I kind of want to collect Turtles up until 100 now. and uh, Maybe I'll start reading Turtles at 100. We'll see. And that's that's my goal. Um, and I also picked up 97 this week, which is the current issue. And I believe this is supposedly the first... This is a, uh, a minor key. This is when Jenica, as a turtle puts on the yellow bandana for the first time, from my understanding. Didn't get to read it, but that's what I got out of it. Uh, more turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Urban Legends, number 16. So we're past the halfway point now at 30 issues. This this already told arc will be completed, but this time actually completed instead of canceled at 26, and now in color. From Oni Press, we've got Rick and Morty, number uh, 53. So for all you people out there that just... Uh, you Rick and Morty nerds that or just can't wait for more Rick and Morty to come on, you can get it out of comics. This is a very Rick and Morty type of book. It's It almost feels like Dan Harmon and uh, Justin Roiland are writing it themselves. It's, it's good stuff. I, I dig it quite a bit. Uh, Drawing Blood, number four. Now, I, this should be on the overview, but for some reason, and I don't know how, but issue two and three didn't make it on my pull list. So when I seen issue four was coming out, like, I feel like this book just fucking came out. But now that I think about it, I did have Ben Bishop sign my issue one in, way back in May. So, yeah, no, I guess that makes sense. Uh, hey, hey, but congratulations on volume two being funded on Kickstarter, guys. That's fucking badass. Kevin Eastman, Ben Bishop, David Avalon. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, I'm really looking forward to... I'm going to go through and I'm going to read the trade of volume one. I backed the shit out of this book on volume two, so I will be getting uh, uh, volume two. This will be down on trade negotiations, and I can't wait to talk about this book. This is This is a really, really cool premise, that's for sure. Uh, from Scout Comics, we got Crucified, number three. And this is, what if a hitman had to take out uh, Jesus? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a crazy story. It's not something that, I mean, it's something that, I mean, I'm buying every, every issue, but I'm not necessarily uh, attached to it. And by that, I don't mean I don't like it. It just doesn't, I don't feel like it's completely necessary to throw it into the overview section. Um, I haven't found that total wow factor with it yet. But I, I haven't read this issue either, to be fair. I think it's something that I'm going to save for Mondays and Tuesdays when I'm out of shit to read. <laughs> um, 
Fight Club 3, number 8, Chuck Palahniuk is uh, confusing as shit, so I'm waiting. I read the first three issues, decided that I'm confused as shit, so I'm going to just wait for all 12 to come to completion and read them all. Uh, why don't you just wait for the trade then, Brian, instead of buying the single issue? Because apparently there's something, uh, the, the misinformation section at the beginning of every book apparently is vital to the story, and Paul makes a dick and decided he's not going to put it in the trade. So, yeah, uh, if you want the collected edition and you want to be able to understand it, you still have to collect all 12 issues because Paul makes a dick. And I mean that with all the respect in the world. You got uh, all brilliant people are not all brilliant people, but a lot of brilliant people are dicks. He's brilliant. I'm too stupid to understand what the fuck's going on here. <laughs> um, let's see here. Oh, uh, DC honorable mentions: Batman, Curse of the White Knight. I know in my Twitter poll, this was my most anticipated DC book of the week. And usually you think that would incite me to make sure that you guys got to listen to my stupid voice and talk about it. I read it. And I decided that I'm waiting for it to come to a complete halt, and it's going to be a trade negotiations book. So I'm going to read it every week, take notes, and when it's all said and done, compile all them notes and reread it again, get it all fresh in my noggin, and uh, I'm going to deliver. How, you know, I'm going to deliver this story to you guys for all the people out there that don't have the means to be able to to obtain Sean Gordon Murphy's book, uh, Superman. Number 14. So I read this book. Uh, Rogals are just like that. All done. Hmm. The family, uh, the, the, the super people, uh, they're, they're happy. Um, you know, I think it's time for me to say that I'm, I'm, now, it may sound like a broken record to some of you guys. I'm not a fan of Superman. I never have been, and... You know, for a second, I thought I would be. Brian Michael Bendis, while he was with Marvel, was my favorite writer in comics. And, you know, that just really changed when he went to DC. I don't feel that... And that's only because I haven't read anything he's done that hasn't been Superman. And for him to go off and write my f least favorite character... He went from writing my favorite character in the entire world, Iron Man, to my least favorite character in the entire world, Superman. It was like I got that... I got, got, got... I got kicked in the taint from behind. Surprise, bam. And then I got uppercutted in the butt. Like, that's what it felt like. <laughs> it hurt, is what I'm trying to say. Surprise, bitch. And, you know, for a while, Superman was badass. It was kick-ass. But so th this last arc just didn't do it for me. And same with Action Comics. It was... Uh, I don't understand this Red Cloud figure and... It's uh, Superman. It just really isn't my character. Now it's ha I've had its enjoyable moments since Bendis has taken it over, but I think it's finally time for me to say farewell to Superman again. And I'm just going to be collecting uh, the key issues and making sure that I'm able to, you know, attain those and speculate for you guys as well. So, yeah, bye bye Superman. I think I don't know. I'm a fucking Gemini. I could change my mind in 12 seconds. Red Hood Outlaw. Uh, number 37. You know, not that I have anything against this book at all. I, I enjoy this creative team quite a bit. I enjoy the character Jason Todd. But for whatever reason, I don't really have any interest in reading a, a solo Jason Todd book. Why is it on your pull list? I don't fucking know. <laughs> Every issue that comes out is just in my pull list. I don't, I don't know if I accidentally put it on here. Um, I, I don't remember doing that. But for, ah, fucking nine, nine issues, ten issues now, something like that, no.
No, it'd be more like seven issues, because, yeah. Since I started the podcast, really. Fact is, I have way too much Red Hood. I mean, not too much Red Hood. I don't know what's going on here, but I do hear that there's some key first appearances in there by there four new characters, I think. So, yeah, bam. Not a waste. It was a happy accident. Uh, Martian Manhunter, number eight of this 12-issue maxi-series. Steve Orlando and Riley Rossimo. Um, yeah, it's crazy. The first two issues were nutso, and I decided that I want to read all 12 all at once. It's, I think that's how this book should be enjoyed. If you are reading it when it does come out month by month, then good on ya. Uh, I just, that's the, I'm just explaining why it's not in, why it's on honorable mentions and not in, uh, the, uh, the overview section, as it hasn't been for six issues. Uh, Justice League Dark, number 14. Now, I continue to buy this book. It is the most roller coaster title that I'm subscribed to. Uh, once again, because it's James Tinney in the fourth, it be- becomes very, very, very dense at times. Uh, the thing that keeps me on this book is uh, Swamp Thing and Detective Chimp together, and Zatanna. Uh, that's that's what really keeps me on this book. Now, this is something that I only read when I don't already have 15 books to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but I'm gonna keep going. I, I I do like the concept of the Justice League Dark Team. It's just sometimes it takes a little a little too long for my schedule to uh, to get through it. Is all. Um, hey, look, it's that action comics thing again. I, you know, I just decided, as much as I love Simon Kudansky, uh, as an artist, I just don't think I have any interest in Superman anymore. Didn't even, after reading Superman, I didn't bother to even open action comics, unfortunately, so. It is what it is, but 1014, that may be the last one I pick up. But I do hear, I, I guess Naomi makes an appearance in the last page or something, I don't know. Uh, on to the Marvel honorable mentions. We've got Spider-Man Life Story number six. This is the 10s, the 2010s. And y'all, now there's a reason why it's not in overviews. is because you guys are going to be hearing issue one through six. That's going to be the next edition of Trade Negotiations you get out of me. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this book as soon as I'm done recording this podcast because I've already read the first five issues and y'all are going to get Spider-Man Life Story through the voice of Brian Wayne. Marvel Comics 1000. Now, for obvious reasons, this is on the honorable mentions. It's 80 pages, um, and I'm fucking lazy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's the, the way the story's told is it's it touches on a whole bunch of different significant events, all being told by different creative teams, mostly Al Ewing behind the writing side, admittedly, but they do bring in a whole bunch of other writers as well. It's mostly an artistic flex, and it's uh, it, it's it's just an awesome way to get through it. Now, there, there is some actual significance to Marvel events that occur at the very end, and we get this, uh, this figure that... I, you know what? Here, let me just open this up. I'd, uh, I gotta at least give you some sort of knowledge. Uh, what was this this guy's name? Uh, yeah, the Raider. So, the Master Raider. He's he's this cowboy feller who's got a mask on with star sparkles on it, and apparently he's a big fucking deal. And they're gonna unmask him in issue 1001. What? Yeah, you guys remember the news from San Diego Comic-Con. I know you guys are all focused on the the cinematic stuff, but I gave you the comic book news, and in my 
podcast, I specifically said that this is uh, this is going to actually have significance on the future of the Marvel Universe because this is going to be much more than a number 1,000. Uh, yeah, so they're going to keep it going, at least for one more issue, and we're going to figure out who this uh, masked raider is. So that's what I got for honorable mentions. Let's talk about wall books. This is the pretty shit. It's a slim week in wall books, though. This is the stuff that I picked up specifically for the cover art. Um, and I call this segment wall books because a good portion of the time these books do actually get hung up on the wall for people that make their way down to the studio that is Cerebro, um, to enjoy. And, uh, yeah, no, this is, a, a studio of artists, if you will. And, yeah, it's Inspiration Hall, baby. That's what it is. Wall Books is actually Inspiration Hall. Let's start out, I'm rambling. Let's start out with a Young Guns variant. It's practically a virgin cover, and it's Marco Cicchetto. It looks like we got some concept art for Manwolf Symbiotic. This is fucking dope, guys. Uh, I don't think that Marco Cicchetto has ever drawn anything that's not incredibly amazing. <laughs> it's. I don't think it's possible. I would imagine there's a very, very, very good chance that this one does make it up on the wall, man. This is a great fucking cover. Uh, the last cover, yeah, only two this week, guys, I know, no DC covers, what you doing there, you're the villains, you're fucking up on me, <laughs> um, this is done by Goni Montez, and this is one of them foil Power Rangers covers that we've been getting, this is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, this is the Pink Ranger foil variant, these, these foil variants have all been amazing. I think I have them all. I don't know if I missed the Black Ranger. No, it would be the Black Ranger I missed, my fucking favorite one. But, uh, yeah, I'm really flexing that F-bomb today, aren't I? Jeez, sorry, guys. I'm just kidding. I'm not. I warned you. Um, yeah, no, so that, those are the wall books this week. This book's definitely going on the wall with the rest of the foil variants. It's it's just too good not to. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what I got, man. That's, that's what I picked up. By no means was that everything that came out. But if, you know, there's something that you're subscribed to that I'm not, that, you know, there you just kind of want to get some other insight on, you know what? Buy the book and mail it to me. Just kidding. Just let me know. I'll pick it up, man. Just just let me know. I, 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 I'm here to deliver information to you guys, not just talk about stuff because I want to talk about it. I really am here to inform you and deliver all of the information I can. Make, make it not so scary jumping into comics and... Um, maybe even for the people that are into comics that are thinking about getting out, maybe I talk about something that you're not picking up and, you know, that, uh, and it convinces you to keep at least one book on your pull list and support an LCS. I don't know. I'm just, that's, that's what I'm out to do. So with all that being said, I'm going to go and talk about the least important part of this entire podcast, my opinion, my top books. Um, the, I know some people enjoy uh, the, the, the final top book segment, and I only keep it going is because other people enjoy it. Uh, I find my opinion to be extremely irrelevant. I'm not here to force my opinion on nobody. I'm just, like I said, here to inform. So to begin my top picks, let's talk about cover of the week. And, you know, there, there was some really good stuff, man, and I... It's back and forth. You know, normally my cover of the week goes to a wall book, but you know what? Yeah, no, I changed my mind. It does go to a wall book. I was thinking the Absolute Carnage Clayton Crane Miles Morales book, but the more I stare at the shiny, shiny Pink Ranger cover, yeah, now the uh, 
a Mighty Morphin Power Ranger foil variant gets it. Out of all of the foil variants so far, the, I think this one is, has been the best. Kimberly killing it, man. Fuck, that's a good cover. God damn, that's a good cover. So, yeah, no, that's, that's my wall book of the week. As far as interiors of the week go, this is... I really think this should be a no-brainer. Marvel Comics 1000. You've got all of the beasts in Marvel. All of them. And Rob Liefeld had a page, too. But, yeah, no, it was flexing like a motherfucker. You really got to see all of the talent, all of the different artistic styles. Say, say you only uh, read this one type of comic. And then you're reading this, and you're like, oh shit, comics are drawn like this too? I don't know, maybe that happened in this book. Fact is, is <laughs> it was extremely enjoyable visually. And, I mean, the storytelling was cool too, but this is, I'm talking about interiors here. So, my pick of the week does for interiors totally goes to Marvel 1000. Uh, I mean, yes, I know, Ryan Stegman was in comics this week, and that usually gets it. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, this is just an ultra flex by Marvel, and you know what? I see it. I see it. My overall pick of the week. So when I, when I finished Avengers this week, I thought nothing's beating this. There's, there's no nothing's beating this this week. And then I got to Justice League, and I thought uh, this might be a drag, man. I because sometimes Justice League is a drag. Uh, the last couple issues I think have been. I mean, not a drag, but. Not necessarily the, it wasn't, it's not always the six dimension arc, let's put it that way, and that, yeah. Um, but you know what? Justice League fucking came out swinging this week. Scott Snyder is back dick on the table. <laughs> Seriously, uh, that, that was, whew! That was a heavy story, man. Uh, I, I, it's not looking good for the good guys. That's for damn sure. And yes, I root for a villain. I do. I root for a villain. Not all the time. But when the villain's really good, and I've never liked Lex Luthor, but Apex Luthor, G-status, dude. G-status. And I like the fact that, you know, there's, there's people that are... Uh, Martian Manhunter, he ain't a thing anymore. That motherfucker's melted dead. Gone. He's merged with uh, Luther now. He's, oof, oof. And the way all of that stuff is played out into this one issue of Justice League and what it's setting up with this Justice Doom War, incredible. So I, I know I loved me some Avengers this week, and I'm very, very excited for what Jason Aaron's setting up with Ghost Rider being kick-ass in comics again. But when a book surprises me in the manner that Justice League did... It's I, I gotta give it to it. So Justice League gets my overall pick of the week. So that does it for this podcast, guys. I'm gonna remind you. I don't always. You know, I hate annoying you with all of this shit. But you know, it's I like money and the best. <laughs> you, I I have a Patreon page. Go to Patreon. Cheers to comics, and uh, throw some support down. You know, I've got all types of different tiers. I got tiers to where I send you fucking variant comics monthly. You send me a few bucks and you're gonna get a comic for probably for worth more than the value of the money of that tier. Nine times out of ten, I, I really do make it worth your while. It's uh, I I enjoy the support. It lets me know that you guys do enjoy the show and you listen. You know, sometimes I I don't know if I'm just putting this shit out there. Yeah, I see downloads, but yeah, 
And it really lets me know that you guys enjoy it. So head on over to Patreon and communicate with me through Twitter. I've got an Instagram and a Facebook as well. You guys know how to use the internet and find me, but I prefer Twitter. Hit me up at, at Cheers to Comics. And uh, yeah, no, follow all my polls. I post all types of art that I, or, you know, I post snippets of the stuff that I'm fixing to, to talk about on the next episodes so you get an idea of my excitement going into the podcast. And yeah, so uh, follow me there. And that that does it, guys. This is, I hope you've enjoyed your Labor Day weekend. And uh, y'all, read responsibly. Go out, support an LCS. Uh, you'll be hearing from me next week, fuckers. Cheers. If you're not getting paid to listen to podcasts, then frankly, you've been doing it wrong. I'm here to tell you about this fancy new app out there called PodCoin, where you actually earn coins, which translate into currency, or even charitable donations, if you so choose. And it's all accumulated based off the amount of time you put into listening to podcasts. Uh, And there are actually opportunities to earn double coins uh, when you listen to a featured podcast, like the Cheers to Comics podcast usually is. Uh, Yeah, you earn double the coins there. And as if we're not doing enough for you to pad your pockets just for downloading the app... For first-time users, if you punch in the code COMICS, on behalf of Cheers to Comics Podcast and PodCoin, we're going to start you out, load you up with 300 coins right off the bat. So, start earning your rewards immediately. You cash those coins in for all types of good stuff. But you're going to have to find out what that stuff is all on your own, and you got to go download the app to do it. So, once again, that app is PodCoin. Do it.